Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at believing? Welcome again to episode three of the Lovable Podcast. This is Kelly. Uh, Before we dive right into this week's episode, I just wanted to remind you again that this is more than a podcast. It's also like a global book club because we're recording these episodes together on Facebook Live. So if you'd like to participate in future live conversations, we'd be thrilled to have you join us. Our next live recording will be on October 18th at nine o'clock Chicago time or central time. Uh, Don't worry though, you don't have to remember that. I'll remind you. Just go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com, that's drkellyflanagan.com, and sign up in the right sidebar for my weekly newsletter. The email that morning will contain a link to the conversation on my Facebook page. And of course, if you're still needing to pick up a copy of Lovable, it's available wherever books are sold in paperback, digital, and audio. So grab yourself a copy, or you can find out more about the book by going to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com. Now let's get into this episode. It was another insightful and helpful conversation. We talk about how we think we're resting when we're not, how to cultivate true rest in our lives, and how that will help you embrace your truest, worthiest self. Here it is, week two of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, entitled Rest is Revolutionary. Hey there, Facebook Live. Welcome to the third episode of the Lovable Podcast and week two of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living. This week, we're going to review your experiences with the breathing exercises from last week, and then we're going to build upon that exercise by focusing on cultivating a rested body and a restful mind in other areas of our daily lives. Now, before we discuss your experiences with last week's exercise, including perhaps the experience of not doing it, I want to again situate what we're doing in the companion book within the overall arc of Lovable. So first, a brief excerpt from Lovable. The first act of our story is often a challenging one, but the challenge is usually the opposite of what we assume it to be. During our backstory, we arduously cobble together the best self we can, an amalgam of relationships and accomplishments, approval and awards, because we've been led to believe the original self that was put together for us, our true self, our lovable self, is not enough. Our first act, though, is not about more cobbling. In fact, it's about halting the construction project altogether, and probably even deconstructing a bit of what we've put together. In our first act, we don't ultimately become who we are, we unbecome who we are not. Our first act is not about climbing higher on the ladder of success. It's about stepping down. It's about letting go of the things we do to feel worthy so we can return to who we were before we forgot. We don't need a ladder to construct who we are supposed to be. We need an oxygen mask to resuscitate who we've always been. We don't need to build. We simply need to breathe. Our breath, it turns out, is one of the best tools we have. When you breathe, you are not building a breathtaking life. You are simply taking the breath that gives you life. You are not moving up, you are settling down. You are not trying to win a trophy, you are simply being you. Can you sense what a great act of faith this is? 
to stop all of your doing and to simply breathe, even for 10 minutes when you still believe your doing is what makes you worthy, to quit performing while you're still wondering if your performance has been acceptable. There's no to-do list for this kind of moment because there's literally nothing to do. In fact, the task is to slowly settle into doing nothing so you can experience being something, even while that something remains a mystery to you. And it requires only one thing. You have to dare to believe the something you are is a light with worthiness. So for now, just breathe. Let the air run through your teeth, no matter how red they are. And for those of you who don't understand that last reference, I think you'll have to go back to the to the book and understand the metaphor that uh, sort of anchors the chapter. But um, that's the context for what we did last week, beginning the months of listening with a breathing practice. Uh, it is the first step towards beginning to unconstruct all of the constructing we thought we needed to do to be worthy. And, uh, and it's a very simple way to begin that process. So I do want to go back now and I want to sort of pick up uh, reactions to last week's exercise for those of you who tried it, uh, those of you who found that you didn't try it, um, and, uh, and everything in between. So um, let me scroll back here and pick up some comments too before we jump right into that. Julie uh, is sharing a couple of meditation resources, uh, so ways to, to continue to cultivate this practice of breathing. Uh, Camp Calm, for instance, is a 30-day workshop for learning the basics of meditation and mindful living. Um, it's a valuable resource for people who want to start the habit and want a little daily boost on the discipline front, writes Julie. That's what it took to get me started after a multi-year hiatus. Yeah. Certainly with breathing, because it's so easy to just slip back into the daily uh, routines of life and the daily hustle. Uh, it, it's really easy to just forget about. It. All of a sudden, you're, you know, you're at lunchtime and you go, "Oh my gosh, I didn't breathe this morning," or you're off to work and you missed out on your opportunity to do that. So um, certainly having something like Camp Calm to hold us accountable uh, to doing that and giving us some structure and some discipline for that can be really helpful, and it certainly pays off. Um, so Julie, thanks for sharing that. Julie goes on to write, also a free app, Insight Timer, has tracking timer and guided meditations, spoken, music, a broad variety. Uh, yeah, I was actually listening to a book called The Book of Joy, uh, co-authored essentially by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And uh, and they, they were really emphasizing that it's important to tailor your breathing practices and your mindfulness practices uh, to your own preferences and needs. Um, and so if you have an app like this that can sort of, if the spoken word is what helps keep you attentive and centered on your breath, do that. If that's distracting to you, perhaps you use music or some other uh, track that helps you stay centered. But the goal is to increase your awareness, your attentiveness, and your mindfulness regardless of um, uh, you know, any particular rules about the practice. So, um, Julie, thanks for that. I have a feeling that that app insight timer could be really helpful. And Deb writes, I had tremendous monkey mind. This is going to be a challenge for me, but I'm going to stick with it. Deb, I just want you to know you're not alone. Um, we, we all have monkey mind. Um, and, uh, and really that, as we talked about last week, that is, that is a core part of the practice is learning to accept that that our monkey mind doesn't actually go away. We start to go away from it as we enter into a, a different part of our, um, our mind, a mind that, uh, that is capable of consciousness and attentiveness and awareness and isn't always running in a million different directions. So um, it, there's nothing wrong with having experienced it that way. Uh, and keep up your practice. You'll discover over time that it, uh, it begins to pay off. 
De Wiggly writes, sorry I missed last week. That simple act of starting a day off with slowing down and just being still. So good. Oh yeah, Dev, I'm glad you're here this week. And uh, and yes, um, we're going to actually expand on that today. So we're going to take this very formal idea of 10 minutes of breathing practice and we're going to start to try to expand that into the rest of, of your day. Um, but certainly beginning the day with breathing and mindfulness can, can set an entirely different tone for the day. Heather writes, I struggled too. The first couple minutes of every session, I wandered a lot. Yeah, uh, that experience is probably why people don't persist uh, with uh, breathing, a breathing meditation or a mindfulness practice like this, is that the, the toughest part usually is right at the beginning. And so it's, it's frustrating and it's tough, and so you just decide, I'm not doing it right, or I'm not good at this, uh, or it just isn't pleasant, so I need to, to quit it. Um, but if we can persist through that initial experience of the monkey mind, as Deb said, um, then we begin to, to access a different level of attentiveness, and that actually is quite pleasant. Um, so my encouragement to you, Heather, and to everyone listening is to continue with the breathing practice. Um, give yourself at least 10 minutes, but if you're beginning to notice yourself settling into a more peaceful state of mind, certainly give your more, yourself more time in order to experience that and, and really be rewarded for, for the hard work you're putting in. Heather also writes, a timer on my phone helped. That's, that's good. That's, that, see, to me, that is the creativity that can start to, to manifest itself within the mindfulness practice is we can be creative about cultivating um, the, the space so that we are increasingly aware. If a timer helps you do that, so you're not sort of constantly thinking about, is my time up? Is my time up? Uh, absolutely. Set a timer. Um, maybe even develop your own uh, uh, sort of mindfulness meditation uh, playlist. You know, maybe three songs that end around 10 minutes, um, three songs that help you stay more attentive and more aware, and that when those songs are up, you sort of know that that, that your time is up. Um, a lot of guided meditations will sort of walk you through that, um, and that's why it's helpful to have somebody speaking. That, that, uh, that app that Julie mentioned can be helpful in that way. Deb writes, I used my phone as well. It's portable. Awesome. Um, man, the blessings and the, uh, the curses of technology, right? Uh, here we are because of technology. Phones can help us meditate. Um, they can also sort of certainly be a distraction. So silencing that phone, silencing your devices when you're in the midst of it. You don't need any extra distractions. Your, as Deb said, your monkey mind will uh, provide enough of those. Heather writes, yes, it was portable. It was able to walk down to the river and sit in nature. That seemed to help. Good, Heather. So you're already starting to pick up on situation and context, which help you. And I, th I think I mentioned it last week, the sound of leaves, the sound of leaves blowing in the treetops, whether it's the kind of summer sound of lots of leaves or the kind of drier sort of sandpaper sound of, of leaves in the fall in the treetops. Uh, if I'm in a, in a, a breathing meditation, um, that seems to help me stay centered and focused in a way that not much else does. So I will go on the back deck uh, to do my breathing meditations frequently. Nancy writes, I've used the phone timer, also downloaded Calm and Breathe apps. 10 minutes is difficult for me, but I'm still practicing meditation two times a day. Good for you, Nancy. Good for you for persisting. The, the, the persistence through that, the, the early parts of this practice will, will pay incredible dividends for you down the road. Um, and not in, not, not in traditional ways, but in, in, in the form of peacefulness and calm. So keep up that practice, Nancy. So now I'm going to read the first reading here for this week, and then we'll pause for discussion, um, you know, like we did last week, and then I'll, I'll read the, the weekly practice, and we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll take time to discuss that too. 
The reading for this week is entitled Week 2, Rest is Revolutionary. Another Sunday morning and another frantic rush for toothbrushes and shoes and little kid Bibles. Another mad scramble for the car. Aiden, who was eight years old at the time, looks at me and says, Daddy, Sunday is supposed to be our Sabbath. I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind. A snappy retort pops into my head, something about Jesus not having kids, so how would he know? But I think better of it, because Aiden's right. If the Sabbath is for rest, why do we orchestrate it like event planners, cramming in enough activity to fill a week of Sabbaths? I think we do it because whether you go to church every week or you refuse to set foot inside of one, we all have at least one thing in common. Having tried and failed repeatedly, we have given up on real rest altogether. And I think we failed because we harbor at least three fundamental misconceptions about rest. Number one, we think rest is what happens when our bodies are still. We think we are resting when we plop down in front of the television or settle into an internet browsing session or lounge by the pool on a Saturday afternoon. Yet while our body is inert, our mind defies us, continuing to spin in a million directions, thinking, worrying, planning, regretting, and critiquing. We can't rest when our minds are itchy. Number two, we think rest is what happens when we have less to do. We think we will rest when Saturday rolls around and we have fewer things to do and fewer places to be. But before we know it, the morning is gone in a series of random chores and Facebook posts. And then we wonder where the time went. Rest requires more than space. It requires intentionality. Number three, we think rest is what happens when we escape reality for a time. We literally vacate our reality, taking vacations to warm places with cool beaches, seeking a space where we are unavailable to the world that is pulling us in so many directions. And yet, wherever we go, there we are. We take with us our ceaselessly running minds and our phones and email and text messages, and we never really become unavailable to a world that wants to spin us like a top. We think rest is a moment we create, so we waste lots of energy and money trying and failing to create restful moments. Rest is not a moment to be created. It is an inner condition to be cultivated. Shortly after Aiden made his Sabbath observation, our family vacated, a summer ritual that involves a long car ride from Chicago to the Delaware shore. Every year we go out of our way to travel through, a, through central Pennsylvania because traveling the little highway of rolling hills that winds its way through the heart of Amish country is the most peaceful hour of our vacation. It is peaceful because the Amish culture has ruthlessly preserved its restfulness and refuses to relinquish its slowness. So as we drove, we passed clothes hung on pulleys stretching from houses to barn roofs, bouncing buggies powered by the clop of hooves, houses with phone booths at the edge of the property, and children riding bikes without pedals. To the Amish, pedals are a technology with a dire consequence, hurry. So instead, the children push bikes like scooters, in a sense, life is harder in Amish country. It requires sweat and discipline and intentionality. Yet the fruit of the labor is a kind of peacefulness that saturates the air. For most of us already swept up in the technological river of the 21st century, the Amish way of life seems archaic, backwards, even strange. But I think we could learn a few lessons from the Amish, because the reality is, if we want to cultivate interior lives of restfulness and slowness in our current culture, we are going to have to act in radically countercultural ways. In a world focused on productivity and efficiency, rest is a revolution. So that's the end of the reading. Um, all sorts of challenges in there. 
central to this reading is the idea that we can create all sorts of space for rest, but as long as we're not intentional about truly resting within that space, our minds will stay as busy as ever. <laughs> and the flip side of the coin is that we might be very busy, but if we can cultivate a restful mind even in the midst of our busyness, uh, then we have true rest. So I'm going to give you an example of both, and then I'd like to hear your thoughts. I, for a number of years, was doing an annual retreat, uh, which I actually wrote about in uh, last week's episode. And we would start every retreat um, specifically with a night of rest where we were uh, required to not do anything. We would arrive at the retreat center at about, I don't know, four or five in the afternoon. And we were required to not begin any readings. Um, there were no televisions in the rooms. Um, we were required to leave our cell phones in the car. Um, and we were encouraged not to, to even read a bedtime book, um, but to simply exist in the space and let our minds begin to, to sort of settle down and to let ourselves fall asleep whenever we felt tired enough to fall asleep. And the amazing thing happened. Every person that attended the retreat reported the same experience, whereas normally they would stay up at home until you know, 10 or 11 o'clock on a Friday night, uh, we, we all, you know, we all crashed at, at 8 p.m. Um, when there weren't all the distractions, when there wasn't all of the stuff pulling us in a, a million different directions, we began to become aware of how fatigued and tired our bodies were and our need for, for our bodies to rest. Um, so I think that's one, one form of restfulness is creating space that is uh, designed to not distract us, to not pull us in a bunch of different directions, but to actually rest. Um, and then I think the other side of it is that we can actually be very busy, but we can bring a restfulness of mind to those activities. Uh, so this past, this past summer, I wrote a blog post right near the end of the summer about how there was one, there was one weekend of the summer left and I was going to, uh, spend that weekend sort of being present and attentive. I used the metaphor of, um, you know, a, a reed's only job is to sway. And so what I was going to do with this weekend was just sway, be present and uh, and sort of just allow uh, the the weekend to happen. Well, as as luck would have it, um, that was the weekend that we had planned to put together. It's called a Gaga ball pit. Uh, it's like a hexagonal pit, uh, like a a wall in which kids play a form of dodgeball where you, they try to slap the ball and hit each other beneath the knees um, to get them out of the game. And this was the weekend I told the kids I was going to do it. And I found myself going, oh man, I was going to rest this weekend. I was just going to sway. Now, now I've got to do all this uh, this huge project. But in the middle of, of beginning the project, it dawned on me, uh, swaying isn't an activity. Swaying is a way of relating to any activity. So I decided that I was going to, to undertake this project um, with full presence, full mindfulness, um, and essentially a restful mind. And it was one of the most peaceful days I've ever had. Um, did a lot got a lot done, um, but throughout it, I found my mind was peaceful and present, and I swayed with whatever was happening that day. So these are the different kinds of restfulness, space to actually rest, um, but also ways we can bring restfulness into the busy spaces of life. Um, so I want to talk about both of those as we go through today. Anne writes, uh, love you talking about what rest really is. Um, thank you, Anne. Um, that comes out of years of thinking I was resting and then being tired at the end of it. I mean, I think we've all had that experience, right? The the sort of perennial joke of you get back from your vacation, you say, I need a vacation for my vacation. <laughs> you know, what we're, what we're talking about there is the idea that what we think of as rest is sometimes the opposite of restful. So yes, I, I think it's important to... Um, 
to go a little bit deeper in terms of that definition of rest um, and to begin to associate it with an inner state rather than particular outer conditions. <laughs> Brenda writes, I seem to dislike rest. <laughs> that is, uh, you are again not alone in this, Brenda. Um, and I, I'd be curious, uh, you know, I can throw out there my reasons for not liking rest, um, but I'd be curious if, if any thoughts come to you about why you might dislike rest. Deb writes, Jesus didn't have kids, haha. Man, a lot of great things to unpack there. Rest has become really important to our family lately, and we fight for it, but it's something that has to be fought for. Well said, Deb. Um, truly, more so than ever, rest has to be fought for, um, because more so than ever, the world has come into our homes, right? It's there's our doors are essentially open to the world, and uh, and so more so than ever, we have to to work to keep those doors closed and create spaces for rest. Anne writes, we do think it's vegging out by the TV. Appreciate the thought that rest needs to happen at the mind level. Yeah, um, good. So that seems to be a piece that's resonating uh, with folks consistently. Um, that even when we're sitting in front of the television, the Netflix binge, right? The 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 modern um, form of respite can look an awful lot like rest. Uh, but how many of us end up feeling more tired the next day after going, oh, we'll just watch one more episode. I'll just watch one more episode. And we go, wait a second, my rest wore me out. Um, and so, yes, I think we need to be thinking about rest as a state of inner being, um, not necessarily just as a state of um, outer conditions. Deb writes, I fill up my space lately with listening to worship music, slowing down my mind while the kids are at school. Good, Deb. I think you're getting at the idea here that for each of us, the thing that helps us to sort of tap into the present moment, slow our minds down and begin to rest is a little bit different for everybody. Uh, and you found that that thing for you, which is, which is awesome. Deb writes, the internet is my go-to. I have a love-hate relationship with this medium. <laughs> yeah, I know, right, Deb? Um, I think... The, uh, yeah, again, I said I, I could talk about the, the things that tend to fill up my potentially restful space, and that's, that's it for me. It's, a, it's the computer, whether it's in the form of, you know, browsing the internet or checking news or, or whatever. That's, that's the thing that te is, is tempting to fill up my space with. And I never, I never feel more rested once I get off the computer. Um, the exception is if I've spent that time with the Wi-Fi just, you know, turned off and, and writing. Those are times where I feel more rested afterwards. But otherwise, um, the, the information coming in. And we're going to talk more about that next week as well. Anne-Marie writes, I find myself resisting rest. I actually have a fair amount of space for rest and find myself filling it with drivel. <laughs> you know, the stuff that is just time-wasting. Games on my phone, surfing social media. Anne-Marie, I can't see the rest of your comment. Um, your comment is so important because I think we we tend to like to say or believe that well I just I, life is so busy right we sort of wear, wear that like a badge of honor life is so busy I don't I don't have time what would I have to quit to to find places to rest but I think the reality is that most of us when we take a careful look at our schedule have all sorts of pockets in our our daily routines and our daily lives where rest is possible but we don't utilize it. Um, and to go back to Deb's comment, um, there seems to be, or maybe it's Brenda's comment actually, um, there seems to be something in us that just isn't comfortable settling into that space, right? We have 
We have kids who are decreasingly comfortable feeling bored. <laughs> Just last Saturday, we, uh, we declared at the beginning of the day, it's no technology day, no screens, no nothing. And the kids um, melted down for a while. And then by noon, um, they had developed a game outside where they were climbing trees and hanging from trees. And they did that for the rest of the day. Um, but the initial reaction to having this open space for rest is, is boredom. Uh, or is, uh, is, is resistance, is I don't want that space. I want to fill it up. It's the natural inclination. And so we have, to, uh, we have to be very intentional about not doing so. Sometimes part of it is that what begins to fill that space in is anxiety or regret, thoughts about the past or the future. And so what we want to talk about today in the practice portion of what we're going to talk about is being mindful so that that space begins to, to be filled up with attentiveness to the present moment rather than sadness, regret, um, guilt about the past, or anxiety, worry, or fear about the future. So if we can begin to cultivate a sense of mindfulness in that restful space, our minds will become restful as well. And so that's what we're going to focus on in our practice. Heather writes, reading. I spend way too much time reading. I counted 101 books so far this year. Heather, that is probably one of the healthiest forms of uh, filling up your time. Um, but I think what you're saying is you could probably trade in, what, 10% of those books for a space that feels um, more open to cultivating a restful mind. Um, that is really, you know, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really honest. Um, it'd be easy to say, oh, well, but I'm doing something really healthy and productive. I'm reading. Um, but to balance that out with something that, that feels a little bit more intentional and attentive, that might be really good. So thank you for sharing that. Nancy writes, I practiced restfulness and mindfulness this weekend and accomplished a great deal, but still felt, felt restful. I really enjoyed the weekend. I've tried to incorporate the same during the work week. Oh, that's excellent, Nancy. So you're speaking to the idea that even though you got a lot done, there was a sense of restfulness in doing it. And you want to take that into your work week as well. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to essentially be talking about here in the practices today. Kathleen writes, I tend to waste time on my tablet, although this summer just chilling and enjoying the quiet of my gardens. Kathleen, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, the tablet that can go outside with us down to the river and out into the garden is a particularly tempting way. And again, we're going to talk more about that next week. Um, but uh, to be intentional, maybe about leaving that behind and creating space where you can be more intentional about resting and being present is, uh, is really important. Jennifer writes, little chores, dishes, food prep, cleaning, as if I will allow myself to rest if I just get ahead a little. Oh my gosh, Jennifer, great call out. One of my favorites. One of my favorite. I will rest when all the work is done. I actually think I sort of got into this habit uh, as, a, as a young child, right? And I think there was a, a good thing about the things that I was taught. You know, get your work done and then go play. The problem is, as an adult, as a father, as a parent who's got three kids and a job and all sorts of other commitments, the work will never be done, right? We can't wait for that to happen. We have to decide that uh, we are going to create spaces for rest even when the work is not yet done. Again, this is a, uh, a terribly un-American way <laughs> to live, um, and it's, a, it's sort of countercultural in that way to say that I won't, I won't work as long as there's a task in front of me. I'm going to rest and the sense of presence and mindfulness that arises within that rest will become the foundation upon which I do all work. And then the work that we do becomes more energizing, it becomes more productive, more efficient, 
uh, and so on and so forth. So I think it is important to not wait until the work is done uh, to begin resting. Deb writes, the idea type of rest, oh, the ideal type of rest for me is sitting down and doing a puzzle. I'm occupied, but not worrying. Good. So Deb, we're gonna um, we're gonna take that um, because uh, we want to um, we want you to ha have the same experience, a sense of of being resting and present, um, but to be able to do so without necessarily being having to keep your mind occupied with something, but being able to bring your mind fully to the present moment, um, and and to be able to be in that space without worrying. Um, but also not necessarily occupied the whole time. So we're going we're gonna to work on that today. Kim writes, being a performer and person who was trained at a young age to take care of people, I find myself thinking about all the things I need to do. Kim, thank you for that. Um, there are an awful lot of us out there who share that <laughs> trait with you. And the, the default mode is what can I be doing for other people right now? What should I be doing for other people right now? And uh, it, it is not second nature to slow down and say, uh, how do I take care of myself first? How do I give myself the, the gift of rest and presence and peacefulness? Uh, instead, we're thinking about everything that we need to do for everybody else. And that's a good thing, right? We don't want to do away with that. We just want to make sure that our doing for others proceeds from a, a care for ourselves and a, rest, um, a restful mind. Karen writes, 20 to 30 minutes gets easily filled with too much scrolling on Facebook sometimes. Yep, social media. And again, we'll be talking about that next week, Karen. Julie writes, once I ban myself from devices for the last hour or two of the day, I would read, but often as not, I'm ready to just stare into space or go to sleep. Julie, that's a really nice observation that uh, not all forms of distraction are created equal, that, uh, that scrolling through television channels or scrolling through a Facebook feed actually keeps our minds uh, much less aware of our fatigue uh, and much less aware of our need for rest. Whereas reading a book for most people, my wife is an exception. That woman, if she starts reading a book at bedtime, she's she could be up till three in the morning. She just gets lost in it. But for most people, reading a book um, is not going to distract us as much from our, our need for rest. And so we'll be able to respond to that more readily. Deb writes, you touch on such a great idea about limiting technology. It's definitely something we have a love-hate relationship with and the struggle to have a balance with it is real. Yeah, so, and we are going, that's going to actually be the focus of our, our discussion next week, Deb. Uh, so you're, tune in. <laughs> I think you're going to like next week's discussion. Uh, it's going to be challenging, but good. Dika writes, I hardly know how to do nothing, and I happen to use reading as a hiding place from all the madness in the world. Um, oh, me too. Me too, Dika. I, I just, the, for a lot of us, learn to use that, the escape into fiction, right? As escape from... Some of the unpleasant things that are happening in our lives as children. Um, it's a it's a brilliant escape. It's a beautiful escape. It's one of the healthiest ones. Um, and so we don't want to do away with it altogether and say that it's bad. It's actually really pretty healthy coping. Uh, but we also want to cultivate a space in which we can be present to the moment and resting uh, without necessarily having to keep our minds occupied all the time. So don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Continue to to give yourself that good thing, um, but also begin to. Maybe go down, like we said, from 101 books a year to 90 books and, and start to give yourself the gift of rest. Okay, so I'm going to, uh, I'll double back in a little bit to pick up additional comments, but I'm going to get into the practice. Um, and what you'll discover in this week's practice is that uh, last week we had 
uh, one unified practice to, to practice throughout the week. This week I give you sort of a set of options and that's not uncommon throughout the rest of the of the year. Uh, it's a it's a way to give you options for things you can be doing during the week, tailor it to your own needs. Uh, you can do one or all of them, um, but there's going to be some options that I present to you. So let's get into that. Week two practice. Last week, we focused on replacing doing with breathing. This week, we are going to build upon that by breathing and resting. The rest revolution begins with intentionally forsaking physical or mental activity in one way or another. This week, Add one or more of the following practices to your morning breathing exercise. Number one, wake up 15 minutes early, but not in order to get a jump on the day. Instead, spend five minutes opening your eyes slowly, opening the eyes of your body and your mind and your heart to a new day. Feel the warmth of the covers on a cold winter morning or attend to the dance of light on the ceiling from a summer sunrise. Do nothing to the moment. Simply allow yourself to be in the moment. Feel the weight of your body on the bed, your rested muscles, and your normal aches and pains. Slowly, ever so slowly, throw your legs over the side of the bed, feeling the texture of the floor as your feet meet the day. Sit up and breathe slowly. Notice the air as it fills your lungs. Notice your mind as it already begins the daily race, and repeatedly bring your attention back to the breath in your lungs. Spend some time being grateful for each and every breath. After all, your breath, not your job or your kids, is what keeps you alive. Number two, before you stand up to take on the day, pick words to breathe throughout it. Words like simple, or sacred, or sublime. Words that help us to quit ignoring everything that is happening in the lower gears of life. Number three, schedule 10 minutes in the middle of every day to engage your senses to catch the scent of the tomato plants in bloom, or today's shade of blue in the dome above you, or the rich scent of coffee in the mug on your desk. When you do this, you will want more of it, so you may have to find time in the day to do it again. Number four, and maybe, and this is totally crazy I know, on the weekend, trip every switch in the fuse box, except the kitchen of course, no need to spoil the food, maybe do it for the entire weekend. If the power went out of our houses, perhaps we'd feel the power drain out of our hurried lives as well. Maybe we'd discover the kids sleep later when there are no cartoons to watch. Maybe the internet would have to be traded for a board game. And maybe our families would rediscover the art of laughing together. Maybe without air conditioning, we'd be forced to sit on the front porch with a sweaty cold glass of tea. And maybe we'd have time for a long, slow conversation with a neighbor we love but never have time for. Maybe without lights, we'd go to sleep with the sun. Maybe if we cultivated rest in this way, we'd have enough energy left over for our vacations. So that's the end of the recommended practices. A couple quick thoughts before I, I double back and pick up comments. Um, that last practice, um, which is sort of a crazy idea, it actually derived from an experience in which we did lose power for several days. And uh, um, I think it's actually three days. And we, we watched our family began to settle into a totally different rhythm. Um, without power in the house, there was nothing to do after dark. We would light a candle, we'd play a board game, and then everybody would sort of be tired <laughs> and we'd go to bed. So first of all, we'd spend time together. Um, it wouldn't be rushed and frantic and hurried. Um, so cultivating the conditions to, to have a more restful mind. Um, our bodies were more rested because there was nothing to do after dark. We would go to sleep. Uh, and 
there was a, a really um, bittersweet experience. We were literally sitting at the table one day playing a board game when the power came back on. And I, I after three days of wishing for power, and power is a good thing, we need it, but after three days of wishing for it, there was this little disappointment inside of me. Like, oh, this was really good, and I don't know that we're going to be able to hold on to it now that the power is back on. Um, and sure enough, you know, within an hour, we were all heading in our separate directions, and I was catching up on email and, and so on and so forth. So the challenge of this week is to give yourself a taste of those kinds of experiences while also challenging yourself to continue to cultivate them even as life goes on, right? With all the power on and with everything else that goes on in our lives, how do we cultivate that sense of slowness, stillness, togetherness, and mindfulness um, throughout the week? Dika writes, your breath is what keeps you alive. That's profound. Deb writes, that is why I loved camping so much. It was a chance to unplug. I need to get back to that. Deb, that's a, yeah, I think that's why a lot of people love camping. Um, it's a space in which there's very few things pulling you in different directions, and you can simply be present and be together. Um, you're in nature, and so you, you have the, um, all the, the stimulus associated with that that helps you stay present. Uh, so I think that is part of the draw of camping for a lot of people. Deb writes, love that last challenge. It sounds countercultural, but feels a lot like common sense, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, we, we live in a really great time where um, we have the comforts of power and electricity and all the good things that come with that. But if we can learn to moderate it, right, um, then we can also reclaim some of the benefits of a time of life when, when those things weren't present. Um, and we can have the best of both worlds, truly. So um, yeah, I think there's, I think it makes sense to, to sort of challenge ourselves. Now that's a really radical way to do it, you know, tripping all the fuses. Um, but, uh, I don't personally know how to develop a, a discipline without doing something like that. Cause it's just so tantalizing to be engaged in all the things that distract us. Anne Marie writes, I lost internet last weekend for most of Sunday. It was nice to be forced. It was nice to be forced not to go online and find other things to do like planting flowers. Anne Marie, you planted flowers. Um, and and then with planting flowers, we can bring to that that project a sense of, well, let's get it done. I got a couple free hours because the internet's down. Or we can bring a restful mind to it, a mind that is focused on being present, uh, feeling the soil, smelling the flowers, um, watering them for the first time, and being grateful for the water to do so. Uh, so, yeah, the cultivating the 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 environment that is less distracting, but then of course also cultivating our attentiveness to, to the moment so that it can rest. Kim writes, agreed. I almost look forward to hurricanes here in Florida because of the required downtime. So sensitive topic, right? Because obviously hurricanes have been um, damaging to, to a lot of people. Um, but I can certainly, the, the probably the Illinois, Chicago version of that is like really heavy snowstorms in the winter where school's called off, you can't get to work, and everyone that has the day free. Um, there's such a sense of joy and playfulness in that. Um, and for so much of life, we just tend to continue to plow through the snowstorms of life and keep going. Um, but maybe we can be responsive also to the ways that, that the world and life also give us some spaces to rest and actually take advantage of those and cultivate them, right, Kim? Anne writes, thank you for bringing the need for the true mindful rest into our awareness. You bet, Anne. Yeah, if anything comes out of this week for all of us, I hope it's that in the, we notice the moments where we have an opportunity to be more present and mindful um, and that we 
are more intentional in those moments about attending to what's going on around us. So I wanted to share, I, I was in a bookstore with my son this week and I, I came across this book. Um, it's called Peace is Every Breath uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, and I didn't know what to, I, I picked it up, looked interesting, grabbed it, didn't know what to expect. And essentially what it is, is uh, he's, he walks you through your day. Um, he walks you through how to be mindful when you wake up, how to be mindful when you put your feet on the ground, how to be mindful when you and present when you splash water on your face for the first time, when you brush your teeth, when you take a shower, <laughs> when you eat your breakfast. Um, and I, I've I found myself over the course of the week not necessarily going out of my way to intentionally practice those things, but certainly more aware, for instance, while I'm brushing my teeth, that it's something I'm rushing through to get done and that I can be mindful and present even to that, that even brushing your teeth can be a restful experience. Um, it's true. It's hard to believe until you've experienced it. And so that's why we want to focus on practicing it this week and experiencing it. Karen writes, I was a counselor at a kid's camp last summer. I actually came home more rested because of the forced bedtime at night. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Right? Um, yeah, kids, in, and typically in those camps, the kids aren't allowed devices or anything like that. And so, yeah, once it's dark and the campfire's out, you know, everybody's going to bed and you came home more rested from a kid's camp. That is a beautiful thing. It's a great example. Thank you, Karen. Dika writes, my kids sense my waking and they follow me downstairs. <laughs> oh, right? They like, they sense the shift in energy in the household and they, they follow you around. <laughs> um, so it, it, I go back to the, the joke at the beginning of that post, right? Like it's, it's hard with kids to create spaces. Um, but I think we need to model it for them. I think we need to show them that, uh, and they'll be confused at first, right? Like, mom, dad, what are you doing? You're just, you're just sitting there. Yeah. I'm, I'm just being, no, but what are you doing? Well, I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just being present to this right now. Um, and so, yeah, I think we can model that for them and they need that as much as we do. So, uh, it can be a way to do that as we start to set boundaries around our time. Brenda writes, our power has gone out from snow and rain so many times. My family may actually consider them our family's vacations. Brenda, thanks for um, validating my experience. It sounds like that that's, um, you've learned to discover in the midst of that, the restfulness that makes it not all a bad situation, assuming everybody's safe and, and so on. Uh, absolutely. Uh, tapping into that, that, that wavelength of it is, can be a real gift. Heather writes, now that my kids are basically grown up, I have more time for rest, but darned if I do it. This week I will and no book. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome, Heather. I love that sense of determination. Um, and in this practice more than ever, when we talk about last week's practice of breathing, we were talking about 10 minutes, a distinct 10 minutes at the beginning of the day and a distinct 10 minutes at the end of the day. This week, really, the practice can be carried on throughout every day all day. Um, every time you notice yourself not being present to what's going on in the moment, um, that's an opportunity to tune back into it. I've gone through periods in my life where I was so anxious and my mind was so drawn away from the present moment that just as a survival tactic, uh, what I would start to do in spaces where I didn't look totally nuts, I would start to narrate out loud what I was doing. Uh, I am going to the refrigerator. I'm opening the refrigerator. I'm pulling out the yogurt. I am getting a spoon. Uh, and with enough of that, I slowly found myself beginning to rest back into the present moment. 
Um, but without the, the, the narration, the, the out loud narration, um, I wasn't able to get my thoughts, uh, settled into the present moment. So it can be difficult. Um, but if you need to talk out loud, warn, warn your loved ones, warn, warn your friends and family, that's what you're doing and, um, and give it a try. Julia writes, love the self narration. One time recently I was ruminating and wished I could get separated from my anxiety. And that became the opportunity to talk to myself in my head, things that were bugging me. So good. Yeah. I, the, I think one of the most helpful things about therapy is that is not that you necessarily at the beginning be, are thinking different things, but you're saying them out loud and saying them out loud literally begins to unravel them. I think we, we come back to thoughts because they are, are wanting to be spoken. Um, they are wanting to be heard uh, by someone else. And so in therapy, we have a place where the very first things we do, we're going to speak and say our thoughts out loud. And, uh, and that in and of itself can begin to help us slow down into, into presence and into mindfulness and into a more restful way of being. So, um, so Julie, good practice, keep doing it and, and feel free to, to say some of those things out loud to somebody. Dika writes, I feel hopeless about this stuff because I'm a sponge for stimuli, but I haven't given up hope yet as I enrolled myself into an empath survival guide course. Oh, wow. Dika, I don't, did we say this last week that the beginning of all change is acceptance? I don't know if we said that. The beginning of all change is acceptance. People say, how, how is it possible that accepting something will lead to change? Um, I love what you've done. You've accepted, I am a sponge for people's stimuli, their thoughts, feelings, emotions, and I need to learn how to create a bit of space there, a bit of separation from all of that. So I'm not taking all of that in. So by accepting that you have an intensely empathic uh, uh, what do you want to call it, personality or soul, um, by doing that, you're initiating change by enrolling in this course. I love that. Um, good for you for accepting that about you and deciding what you want to do with it. Julie writes, Dika, that course sounds so helpful. I'm of the super sensitive variety myself. Uh, so um, I'm not recalling her website right now. Um, there's a woman, her name is Tree Franklin, F-R-A-N-K-L-Y-N. She's been so encouraging of me and, and my writing and uh, a lot of what she writes about and courses that she offers um, are related to being a highly empathic and sensitive personality and how to live in the world with that. So um, I, she's, she's a good one, and, uh, and so you might, you might Google her, and, and uh, I can't find, I don't know what that URL is right now, but uh, it might be worth checking out. Deb writes, yes, we need to model rest for our kids. We train them and teach them everything else. Why not rest? Thank you for the great reminder. Oh, Deb, thank you for that. Um, I hadn't really thought of it in that way, but yeah, we, we considered it our responsibility to guide them into how to live, but we don't think, wow, I really need to model and guide my kids into how to rest. Um, and kids are the most at risk right now. We'll talk more about this next week when we get into the technology stuff, but, um, you know, an awful lot of kids, like I, I will sometimes have my phone in the bedroom with me, but it's on silent, uh, no matter how many texts or whatever I get throughout the night, it's not going to disturb me. You'd be amazed at how many kids, adolescents, teenagers, young adults, who uh, keep their notifications and their alerts on all night long. And every time something comes in, they're tuning into it. Or they, they doze off for a couple hours and they wake up at 2 and then they, they get back to, to responding to what's come in. Um, there is an entire uh, conversation happening all night long for young people. And so the rest is, is simply not there. Um, and so we'll be talking more about that next week. 
So we'll end the discussion here uh, for today, but we'll be continuing it in our next episode, which will focus on week three of the year of listening, loving, and living, entitled Replacing Suffering with Presence. We'll build upon these practices we've discussed by thinking about how we want to eliminate digital clutter and distraction from our lives. And until then, may you cultivate space to rest within your rest and within your busyness. Thanks again for joining us on The Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. <laughs>